Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. Regardless of the size, every brand has similar challenges. And I like to tell them the most important thing in the contract is not in the contract. So it's like any long-term marriage or partnership, the ability to get along, work together when problems happen. That's where things go left. Welcome to the Ecom Logistics Podcast. We're here once again at Shop Talk. Excited to be joined by Scott Weiss, Vice President, Technical Sales, Warehousing, and Distribution Service at Maersk. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. As a way of getting started, can you share a little bit about your yourself and your experience in the supply chain space? Sure. Um, I've been in the global supply chain industry since um, 1996, so okay. almost 30 years. Um, I'm the vice president of technical sales for Maersk. Uh, Maersk has um, approximately 158 warehouses in North America. So I help oversee all of our omni-channel and e-com fulfillment uh, operations um, across North America. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining us today and start on a stat I'm not very proud of uh, having been in the space for a very long time, but the reality is over 50% where the majority of relationships between brands and 3PLs end in a divorce. And we all have to work hard to to fix that and to to right the ship. But you know, love the fact that you've been in the space for so long. Certainly with your role leading technical sales, you see a lot, you hear a lot, you know, you're talking to companies that are exploring a new 3PL partner. So why do you think that percentage is so high? And any thoughts and advice to to brands and retailers on on how to look for a strategic partner? Yeah, and, and we deal with brands of all sizes, startups to Fortune 500 publicly traded companies. And, you know, regardless of the size, every brand has similar challenges. And I like to tell them the most important thing in the contract is not in the contract. So it's like any long-term marriage or partnership, the ability to get along, work together, when problems happen, that's yeah. where things go left. Uh, that's one thing. And we always, we always know in any partnership, especially warehousing, problems happen. Things happen that we didn't foresee. And then the management, the people involved in the day-to-day is so key. Um, if you have high turnover, and it goes both ways. The customer could have high turnover. If you have poor forecasting and planning, maybe you gave the profile information to the 3PL 3PL didn't ask the right questions or the d- data wasn't accurate, you're going to have problems long term. So the most important thing in the contract is not in the contract. And so during that research and discovery phase, it's very important to look for any of those red flags from both sides. I think that's an amazing point. And, you know, we lead the selection process for for a bunch of mid-market brands as they're looking to find, you know, a new 3PL partner. And what we're hearing now more than ever is you know, price will figure out. Price is going to be market competitive. No one's going to be way overpriced. That will make sense. Give me operational excellence. Give me a strong technology integration. Make sure those two boxes are checked. And equally important, tell me about your account management structure. You're right. We're, we don't live in a perfect industry. There is no 100% SLA 
So talk to me about maybe what you've seen be a successful relationship from, you know, how, how escalations take place. What, what type of, you know, is it a call center that works best, you know, when, when issues arise, is it dedicated account management? Like what have you seen be really successful? Well, I always like to tell the customer we're interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing us. So that's the first step to make sure as a 3PL that you, the customer, are actually a good fit for us. And uh, not every customer is a good fit, whether it's the vertical they're in, the size they're in, their profile. It could be um, wholesale and you only do e-com, or it could be e-com and you only do wholesale. So that's the first step. So once you've arrived at the agreement, the partnership's in place, I also like to tell uh, customers, you want your 3PL to do much more than just fulfill orders. You want them to add value by giving best practices. That's the value of a 3PL. We're handling all these other brands. So what is working for the other brands? What we're doing, no need to recreate the wheel. So the great 3PLs are gonna add a lot more value and make you better by bringing those best practices to your organization. That, that would be one thing. Then the account management is very key. Is it just you know one day-to-day -day person that you're talking to? Or someone like, you know, um, a great 3PL can have a lot more structure, make you better, have an account manager, have continuous improvement, tracking the SLAs and KPIs, and just make you a better operation by adding a lot more dimension than just getting um, API orders, picking a unit. I always like to say mm -hmm. that's the easy part of the relationship is picking the, the eaches. It's you got to add value and you got to have these open discussions, quarterly business reviews, monthly SLI and KPIs, annual business reviews. It's a partnership. It's a marriage. You're an extension of the company. And so one of the things we do that is just my favorite part is whiteboarding sessions with these brands where our supply chain design team will fly into their corporate office We'll, you know, turn the lights off, lock the door for six hours, and we'll flow their global supply chain. And invariably, there's going to be five or six things that we see that they're doing today that they shouldn't be doing or suggestions we can have to make them better. And that could be millions of dollars of savings. So maybe, you know, we were five cents more per order on the fulfillment side, but we're able to save them millions of dollars or create brand loyalty and great customer experience. So that's the difference between a good 3PL and a great 3PL. And you know, something really interesting what you just said, and this is an observation I've had as well in the market is 3PLs sit in a such a good position to be the supply chain advisors to mid-market brands. Because, you know, dealing with the large organizations that have supply chain teams or that have dedicated analysts for like inventory, dedicated an analysts for like just relationship management, et cetera, versus brands that you deal with, even a 100 million, 200, 300 million GMV brand, they don't know supply chain, right? Like they have put in blood, sweat, and tears into making this business work. And 3PLs actually sit in a really good position to provide them advisory. I, th I think there is not enough consultative work that is going on 
exactly that, right? Like yeah. you could literally save millions of dollars by just making a slight change, like yeah. give them a network analysis or, you know, be yeah, able to- Yeah, we do to- heat map, center of gravity analysis. Should I be in the middle of the country? Yep. Should I have two DCs? Should I have three network optimization models? Three PLs can offer all of that. And you're right, the mid-tier, they're great at marketing and yep. selling product. And they'd probably be the first to tell you they're not great at logistics. Yeah. And they don't need to be. That's no, why we they, exist, that's right? That's right. That's why this market's be. here. Yeah, because most of the analysis and service that is provided, at least what, I, what I've seen in the market, is like, I'll give you a great UI tool where you can see your orders and yada, yada, yada. But that supply chain optimization and how you should be doing I think there is more opportunities going beyond in, you know, we talk a lot about shipping, right? Breaking down some of the hypotheses that they have around shipping as well, right? Like helping them out. 3PLs are seeing all of these other brands, what's working in the market, what's not working in the market, in a consultative way, working with these brands. I think more of this needs to be happening in the market for sure. Yeah, I like to call us trusted advisors, your in-house consultants. Yeah. You know, and it comes back to, you know, working with brands is we don't want account management to be reactive we want it to be proactive so yes solve the issues and problems that that occur because again it's imperfect but give me that proactive information give me some nuggets of information that could help me make some meaningful changes and you know scott one of the things we were talking about that i think you have an interesting perspective and again people are going to probably listen to this podcast and say mersk i didn't realize they did e-commerce fulfillment Right. I know about the container shipments. And I everything. like to say the great thing is we're a great steamship line and the bad thing is we're a great steamship line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, through your discovery and conversations, you know, with with clientele and prospects, you know, helping them on the complete journey. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, what clients are asking for with a partner when it comes to helping me source my product all the way through making a delivery to the to the final customer. Yeah, the client is asking for that. And I would say it's regardless of the size, you yeah. would be amazed. You know, publicly traded Fortune 500, they need just as much help as the mid-tier to start up. It's all relative. Absolutely. But it really starts, you know, questions like, where should my DC be? Well, mm-hmm. we need to look at the inbound from Asia Where's your factories? Are they in Europe? Um, what, what about your outbound? Exactly. W- let's look at that heat map and see where your penetration is in the Northeast. Are you bigger in the South? So to answer anybody's question as they're looking at it, it you need to look at the whole picture, inbound, real estate, labor, and outbound yep. before you can give them the answer. And so that global supply chain, looking at that whole piece of the puzzle is the only way you're going to give the best possible uh, answer and recommendations by looking at all, all of that. And, you know, Maersk is fortunate because we do offer services from factory to door asset base. So we're unique because we have those services and we can see the gauge of, you know, the transit time and the cost from um, China to LA versus Savannah or the outbound small parcel. Is it two days from Columbus and you get to hit the whole country? We can look at all those scenarios and you really do need to look at the whole picture of the global supply chain to get the best possible answers these days. Do you, from a consultative standpoint, would you, is it different departments or as far as the client is concerned, you are essentially working one account, one management to say, okay, I'm also going to help you with ocean freight. I'm also going to help you. 
with trucking and I'll also help you with the e-commerce. Yeah, it's uh, the Because I see a lot of that, right? Like, yeah. it's like, oh, for this, you got to talk to that account manager. And then you got to yeah. talk to that person, right? Dan knows uh, all about it. We talked it. about yeah. that last night. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maersk, I think, has really been smart. It's a global integrator strategy um, from factory to door. And the way we're set up is there's one global account manager for that customer. So they're the main point of contact. And then when we have, let's say, a warehouse opportunity, I'm the warehouse technical sales expert that's brought into the the discussion. I live and breathe warehousing. I call them connectors. Makes sense. And so they connect with the trucking, with a small parcel. Maybe they need a warehouse in Asia. We have LF Logistics that we just acquired. So we have experts for each of the subjects that the customer needs, and it seems to work really well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Maybe one of the things that I know a lot of brands and retailers is, you know, searching for a new provider or maybe a provider for the first time, or maybe they're, they actually do their own fulfillment. They're trying to understand what is the right number of nodes I should have in my network. And again, I think that certainly correlates to knowing your customer and what that end customer experience requirement is, whether it's a two-day delivery, five-day, seven-day, whatever it might be. But what are you seeing on that front? You know, I think there was this kind of immediate expansion of nodes in a network when Amazon came out with, you know, two-day prime and everyone was trying to match that and, and open up, you know, three, four five node networks. We're seeing, at least I'm seeing to an extent, a little bit of a consolidation there because there were some issues. So maybe just talk about maybe the pros and cons of a single node network for a small time node that you've been yeah, seeing in the market. I, mean, I would say the 3PL world, it's not a one size fits all model. And it really varies by customer. So as an example, a footwear apparel and accessory customer that has 50,000 active SKUs, very challenging to manage multiple inventories. Mm -hmm. A cosmetic company that might have 300 active SKUs, more uh, feasible and realistic to have multiple SKUs. So that's one thing. Your SKU count is the first thing to look at. Um, The next thing I really always look at is who's paying for the outbound freight. So in the e-com world, it's mostly really prepaid. You're paying, it's shipping under your account or our account. So that's a big factor of the cost of the outbound transportation because that's more than the fulfillment cost, a lot more. But what if you have collect payment with your retailers and it's wholesale and you're omni-channel, then it makes sense to look at the closest port of entry, like a Savannah or an LA, Southern California, so that's, you know, some brands are 100% D to C. Many are omni-channel that have the collect and the prepaid. And some are only collect. And so right. that's, that's a big factor. And then the third one is let's assume you have all this prepaid. Your outbound freight costs a lot. What is important to you? Is it the cost or the transit time? Some customers commit to their, to their customers two-day transit time then the multiple DCs is more in play while others say, you know, I have a product that people can live with getting it in a week and I want the low cost solution. Then maybe the, you know, one DC models in play. What we see from the multi DC models are East coast and West coast. Primarily um, not many have more than two DCs. And then um, if it's a one DC model for D to C, the Midwest becomes very attractive due to lower real estate costs and hitting the whole U.S. in two to three days. Awesome advice. That makes a lot of sense. 
I know, Nanad, you were wanting to jump in on all yeah. things automation and robotics. Yeah, I, specifically robotics, right? Yeah. Like, well, what's the vantage point? Like, are the customers asking for robotics? Yes, absolutely. But should the customers be asking for <laughs> robotics? Like, shouldn't they be asking for the dollars and cents, right? And efficiency is your job. But why are the customers asking for there's robotics? There's a perception that there's a labor shortage, which yep. certainly after COVID there was. Yep. Um, and there still is for a lot of warehouse providers to find labor. Um, the cost of labor keeps going up. It's not going to go down. Did and, you hear uh, that stat yeah, yesterday? Yeah came out just on that particular note was they said Amazon's going through so much labor attrition that in two years, they will have run out of workforce. Unless they rehire. No. The workforce would be done. Like you go through attrition churned. and you burn to a point where there is no one left that wants to come and, and work, work for, for you. you. Wow. Well, I would add on that note, let me add that because employee... Uh, retention. I've seen a big increase for uh, companies that have their own warehousing, 3PLs. The value of treating an employee and uh, taking care of them has never been higher. That's one thing that really came out of COVID that companies, frankly, did not pay as much attention to before. You know, whether it's barbecues, promotions, certificates. So I'm really happy to see that. But that being said, Robotics and automation is a very common uh, request. Yeah, uh, We have a whole global um, innovation center. We're actually opening up in Jersey City um, next month. We have about 24 different initiatives, proof of concepts of robotics, uh, goods to person, ro fetch robotics, fabric robotics. So lots, lots of all these initiatives. But the key here is it isn't needed for everybody. You yeah. know, the key is... What works best for your specific needs, Mr. and Mrs. Customer? Not a one size, but we have all these, you know, 24 different options that we look at and we see what, what is the payback? What's the productivity increases? Exactly. And we present that to the customer. And there's certainly some customers that don't need automation. Yeah. Uh, but there's many that, that do. And it's probably a number one question we're asked these days from the customer. There is that perception that, uh, workers are the prices are going up they're not as reliable Makes sense. and it, it's very it is a very real issue but um, a 3PL or a warehouse provider that takes care and really stresses employee it's it's a balance between the two That's I agree right well all I wanted to you know bring up was the fact that customers shouldn't be dictating that right like it should be other than like you got capital investment in automation right then you got pain share, gain share. It starts making sense. The customer says, let's let's go put a $5 million automation piece as an example, right? But when it comes to robotics, right? Like it's, most of it is robotics as a service. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's on demand. If the 3PL thinks that's the right thing to do, they'll just do it, right? But the customers definitely want the cool factor. And they I'm do. sure from a selling perspective, it helps. <laughs> Having robots help. So what we do, what I found helpful is we show them a manual solution, semi-automated solution, could be conveyors yep. and, and then a fully automated solution for those that might be in that category. And we show them the productivity difference, the CapEx startup difference, and um, the number of employees. And then we help them make an, uh, together an informed decision. We don't just say, this is our solution, take it or leave it. We yeah. present them with options. Absolutely. And we find that to work really well. Makes all the sense in the world.
Well, I apologize from talking about sexy robotics to dirty pallets, but Scott, we were talking about this uh, <laughs> earlier today and you're in a lot of warehouses, right? You go and you, you get to tour a lot of facilities and one of the things you're seeing more often than not is inventory that's been sitting for years and not just one, two, you're talking five, six, seven years. And, you know, we've got all the, the technology, we have all the, the, the reporting and insights and the cost of automation is really high. The last thing you want to be doing is jamming inventory, stale inventory into a highly automated facility. So maybe people are pulling it out and putting it in reserve locations, but or re offsite locations. But what are you seeing? You know, why is that actually even happening in 2023? And, and your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I've never seen more excess inventory in my entire 25 year plus career. I always tell every customer, you're not alone. Because right. it's everybody, mm -hmm. you know, from the uh, the line at the port, everybody over ordered. And so the reasons that I see and I like to tell customers don't fall in love with your inventory. So that's number one. The sales team likes to fall in love with the inventory. Um, number two is the long lead time of the global supply chain. So as we have this uh, podcast today, it's March and the lead time for most brands is around six months. Mm -hmm. And so economic uncertainty was a big theme I heard at the recent TPM conference. What is the economy going to be like six months from now? Who really uh, knows? Yeah. And so that global uh, logistics lead time has created really big challenges on trying to get your crystal ball out on what you should order. And then the, uh, the sales team just uh, falling in love with the inventory and say, it didn't sell last year, but it's going to sell this year. And the, the third reason is the lack of uh, focus on what those costs are of carrying the excess inventory, putting yeah. a dollar amount on that. Owner once told me many years ago, that's cash sitting there on the warehouse floor. Right. You know, I think a big uh, miss is brands just putting a dollar amount of paying uh, storage and taking up space for five years. Because believe me, I've seen recently five years, six years, seven years inventory sitting there. It's pretty amazing and mind blowing, but it's true. Well, they're hoping for some trend to come back. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Well, listen, Scott, really, really appreciate you joining us today. Want to give you the opportunity to let everyone know you know, how they could learn more, how they could reach out to you, how they can learn more about Maersk e-commerce fulfillment solution. Um, yeah, if you go on Maersk.com, uh, M-A-E-R-S-K.com, we have a whole e-com fulfillment division. Um, like I said, uh, warehouse e-com fulfillment centers all over North America, as well as Canada and Mexico. Yeah, just great websites, got all of our locations and uh, happy to reach out directly to me. I'm based in Los Angeles, so I'll I'll take you out to lunch anytime. Amazing. Right. Thank you awesome. very much, Scott. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.